Okay, so, yeah, can you hear me? Cool. Right, we're reading chapter 9 from 1 Corinthians. I'm reading from the NIV translation. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not the result of my work in the Lord? Even though I may not be an apostle to others, surely I am to you. For you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defence to those who sit in judgment on me. Don't we have the right to food and drink? Don't we have the right to take a believing wife along with us, as do other apostles and the Lord's brothers and Cephas? Or is it only I and Barnabas who lack the right to not work for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his, expe- at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat its grapes? Who tends a flock and does not drink the milk? Do I say this merely on human authority? Doesn't the law say the same thing? For it is written in the law of Moses, Do not muzzle an ox while it's treading out the grain. Is it about oxen that God is concerned? Surely he says this for us, doesn't he? Yes, this was written for us, because whoever ploughs and threshes should be able to do so in the hope of sharing in the harvest. If we have sown spiritual seed among you, is it too much if we reap a material harvest from you? If others have this right of support from you, shouldn't we have it all the more? But we, need, but we did not use this right. On the contrary, we put up with anything rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. Don't you know that those who serve in the temple get their food from the temple, and that those who serve at the altar share in what is offered on the altar? In the same way, the law has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. But I have not used any of these rights. And I am not writing this in the hope that you will do such things for me, for I would rather die than allow anyone to deprive me of this boast. For when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast, since I am compelled to preach. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. If I preach voluntarily, I have a reward. If not voluntarily, I am simply discharging the trust committed to me. What then is my reward? Just this, that in preaching the gospel, I may offer it free of charge, and so not make full use of my rights as a preacher of the gospel. Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone, to win as many as possible. To the Jews I became like a Jew, to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak, to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, 
but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave, so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Good morning, everyone. Thanks for the reading, Brad. That's excellent. Welcome to week 10 of our ongoing series in 1 Corinthians, Paul's letter to the believers at Corinth. Are you enjoying it? Are you sure? (laughs) Um, Paul certainly has a lot to say to these believers in Corinth, doesn't he? And some of it, I think, is quite tough. Some of it is kind of tough love. He's not afraid to call them on their issues. And my goodness, they seem to have a lot of issues, don't they? A love affair with problems, we've called the series. And it's like we don't get a week off, really. Every week there's a a new issue to be dealt with. And I think a lot of the things that Paul talks to them about at first glance, for us, kind of seem a little bit irrelevant. You know, last week we spoke about meat sacrificed to idols. I'm sure most of us don't know where to get meat sacrificed to idols, let alone whether we can eat it or not. But I think if we look behind the commands that Paul is giving, and we try and see something of his heart for the Corinthians, then what we end up with is some really great principles for Christian living. So that's what we're going to try and do this morning. Here we are in chapter 9. Paul's got a new lesson for us. The first thing I want you to notice about chapter 9 is the way that it starts. Paul says, am I not free? Now this is different from the last two chapters. Chapter 7 starts with, now for the matters you wrote about. And chapter 8 starts with, now for f- about food sacrificed to idols. Chapter 9 has no now. Which tells us something. It tells us that Paul is on the same subject. He hasn't changed from what he was talking about last week. In much the same way that the first four chapters of this book are all to do with the divisions that were in the church at the time, um, this is the same subject that Paul started last week. Now don't worry if you weren't here last week or you know, if you've slept since then and forgotten. I'm going to give you a little bit of a recap in a minute or two. But I just want to highlight this because we need to remember that when Paul wrote this letter, he didn't write it with chapters and verses. It would have been very strange if he had done. If you receive an email from someone at work and it begins with chapter one, you put it straight in the trash, don't you? At least I would. When I read Paul's letters, to me, it always seems like what he's doing is pouring out his heart. He's speaking from his heart to those that he's writing to. It's quite likely, actually, that um, he didn't write a lot of the letters himself. He probably had a scribe. So I like to imagine him standing there with the letters that they'd sent him and just reading it and then talking out of his heart to them and explaining things as he sees them. And he's a, he's a funny one, Paul, because you know, he starts to answer a question 
And then he, he, he seems, something else seems to trigger in his mind. And he'll sort of wander off and, and go and talk about something else for a minute. And then that'll trigger something else. And something else will come out of his heart. And then about three chapters later, he'll come back to the question where he started. And so sometimes it's kind of unhelpful for us to view these things as isolated chapters in our Bibles. It's difficult, of course, to do more than a chapter on a Sunday morning without us being here until four o'clock. Um, but this is a good example today because Paul is continuing where he started last week. So let's just take a step back for a moment and remind ourselves of where we were last week. So Paul was answering a complaint that had been made by the Corinthians. Now many of them have come to believe um, in the one true God. And this was... Um, Problematic because they came from a society that was polytheistic, that believed in all sorts of different gods. The Aphrodite, Poseidon, Apollo, Hermes, Venus, Fortuna, Asclepius, to name a few. But they'd done away with all those old gods now, and they just believed in the one true God. So for most of the Corinthians, um, to eat meat that had been sacrificed to the old gods, to the false idols, was no problem at all. They would go and attend feasts in the temples of these other gods and they would take meat home and eat it. But there were a few who, have, who for them it was still a problem. Perhaps those that were kind of younger in the faith. And for them, these idols still had something of a hold over their lives. So when they ate the meat, it was an act of worship to a different god. And that damaged their conscience. So Paul gives them this principle to follow in um, verse 9 of chapter 8. He says, Be careful, however, that the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block to the weak. And this is a, a principle of love. This is what he's trying to teach them. And in fact, he comes back to it later in chapter 10, verse 24, where he says, Do not look out only for yourselves, look out for the good of others also. And so you see, he continues this train of thought across a few chapters. So essentially, in chapter 8, he's saying, you've got a right to eat this meat. No problem at all. We know these gods aren't real. You can eat it. It's just food. He actually says, food is just food. It's just dinner. However, if by eating it you're causing a weaker believer to stumble, then you need to evaluate your motives. Because the more loving thing to do for the sake of someone else is not to eat the meat. The other thing Paul does, or did last time, was he reminded them of the work of Jesus. In verse 11, he said, So this weak brother or sister for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. And what he wants to do is remind them that Jesus has set them free from the things that have kept them from God in the past. And that Jesus did that by laying down his own rights, by committing the supreme act of love and dying in their place, and our place also. And actually, Paul puts this idea really well in another letter he wrote. Um, it's called Philippians, which is in your Bible. Um, chapter 2, verse 5 to 8, this is what he writes. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing 
by taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And so, for Paul and for us, Jesus is this supreme example of love. Being in very nature God. He had all the rights. God has all the rights. If he doesn't, he's not God. And yet he laid them down for the sake of others. So Paul talks about Jesus as his example, and he he puts Jesus first. Paul always puts Jesus first. You'll see that as you read through his letters. And then he talks about himself as someone who follows Jesus' example. And that's where he finished last week. At the end of chapter 8, he said, Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother or sister to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again, so that I will not cause them to fall. There we go. So that was chapter 8. Please check out the podcast for a more robust review. And here we are at the start of chapter 9. So Paul is continuing to use his own life as an example of this principle of love that he started talking about in chapter 8. And he begins with a, a series of rhetorical questions. He asks a lot of questions. If you've got your Bibles open in front of you, you, you can count the question marks. There's plenty there. And the first three are all to do with his authority as an apostle. So he says... Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Now if we just step back for a minute to the beginning of these studies, and I know I'm making you use your brain a lot this morning. I'm sorry about that, but we need to be remembering where we've come so far. At the beginning, Paul is talking about the divisions within the church. And he, Paul founded the church. Paul was the, the founder of the church in Corinth. We read about it in Acts 18. He was the one who got it all going. Um, and then after he'd founded the church, he moved on to another place. And this is what Paul did. He, he wanted as many people as possible to know about the gospel. So he, he would talk to people. He would stay in a place. He would tell them about it. And then he would move on. And then after Paul came a guy called Apollos. And he continued the work that Paul had started in Corinth. And some of the believers had said, well, we, we prefer Apollos. He's, he's, a better, he's a better speaker than Paul was. Yeah, we like him. And then other believers said, well, no, actually, what we should be doing is following Peter's example. Cephas, because, you know, he was one of the original 12 disciples. He was with Jesus, and he's the head of the church in Jerusalem, so he's the one that we need to be following. And there was all these arguments about who had what authority amongst them. So there's this sense in the letter in which Paul is needing to defend his authority before them. It would be sort of like Steve getting up and saying, am I not your pastor? Have I not been here 20 years, whatever it's been? But it's never over and above the other leaders. He's not trying to big himself up. In fact, if you remember in chapter 4, he talks about all the leaders being seen as servants of Christ and nothing more. And Paul always elevates Christ above himself. In fact, he says a bit later on in this letter, follow my example as I follow Christ's example. But he wants them to have the right image of who he is. He wants them to understand that he is an apostle before them. And there's a reason for this. Excuse me, it's very warm here today. So he says, am I not free? And he's indicating that he's under no one else's authority except for Christ's. 
He says, have I not seen Jesus our Lord? And he's reminding them that although he may have not have been one of Jesus' disciples, one of the twelve while he was alive, he did have an encounter with the resurrected Jesus on the road to Damascus. And finally, he says in verse 2, For you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. The fact that God is working in your lives should be evidence enough that I'm an apostle. And as I was reading this this week, it just seems to me that Paul almost views himself as being on trial here. I can imagine him, this even, as being sort of his opening statement before a jury. You can sort of see him pacing backwards and forwards and saying, am I not free? Am I not an apostle? And then in verse 3 he even says, this is my defence to those who sit in judgement on me. And at this point he'd swivel round and point at the prosecution. And he begins to list his rights as an apostle, doesn't he? If you follow it through, he says, an apostle has a right to food and drink. You know, I've got a right to hospitality. You need to look after me, you know. I have a right to a wife. I could have a wife. Peter's got a wife. Look at Pete. I have a right there. We have a right to earn a living from our work as an apostle. And he mentions Barnabas, who's someone who who travelled and worked with him. And essentially, his case is that as an apostle, he has a right to a wage. And then like a good defence attorney, he begins to cite other examples. Verse 7, he says, No one would expect a soldier to pay his own way. If you want people to go to war for you, you've got to pay them. If you own a vineyard, then surely you're allowed to eat some of the grapes. If you own sheep, then surely you're allowed to drink their milk. I don't know if he meant cows there or if he prefers sheep's milk. Apparently it's very good if you're lactose intolerant. Low lactose and sheep's milk. That's not the main message of today. <laughs> Forget that. And after citing all of these human examples, he moves on to cite the law. That's what a good lawyer would do, right? Verse 8, he says, Do I say this merely on human authority? Doesn't the law say the same thing? And he's not talking about the law of the land, but he's talking about the law of Moses. So he's talking about a divine principle. If you're going to argue a case, get God on side. Yeah? He mentions this ox that while it's treading grain should not be muzzled, essentially so it's allowed to eat and sustain itself as it does the work. And he says it's true of anyone involved in the harvest. If you work in the field, you should share in the crops. If I've kept you fed spiritually, shouldn't it be okay for you to keep me fed physically? We'll just skip verse 12 for a minute, because in verse 13 and 14 he makes these two closing arguments. 13, he uses the example of someone serving in a temple. And last week I spoke to you about how um, when you bring your meat to be sacrificed that the priest, those serving the temple, will get a share of the meat as payment for helping with the sacrifice. Then in verse 14, his final statement, his closing, his nail in the coffin, he cites the ultimate authority, Jesus. And he's referring to the instructions that, that Jesus gave to his disciples when they were sent out to preach the gospel, where he said to them, eat and drink whatever you've been given, because the worker deserves his wages. Boom! I rest my case, Your Honour. If this was a rap gig, he'd have dropped the mic and walked off the stage at this point. But he doesn't, does he? There's a twist. Instead he says, but I've not used any of these rights. And I'm not writing in the hope that you will do such things for me. 
For I would rather die than allow anyone to deprive me of this boast. I've not taken food and drink from you. I've not taken a wife for myself. I've accepted no wage, no payment whatsoever. And you know what, guys? I don't want it. I'd rather die than allow anyone to deprive me of this boast. Now, this seems like a slightly odd thing for Paul to say, especially as one of his biggest criticisms of the Corinthian church has been their pride, hasn't it? If you think back over the last few weeks, he's always talking about how prideful they are, how they boast in the wrong things. And here Paul is talking about boasting. But the word that Paul uses for boasting can also convey the idea of rejoicing or reveling. Actually, I think what's happening here is this isn't Paul's pride shining through so much as it is his passion for the work that he's doing. In fact, he clarifies his position in the next verse, doesn't he? Verse 16, he says, I cannot boast in my preaching because I'm compelled to do it. He couldn't help but preach. This was the call on his life. This was his life work in his own mind. He had absolutely no choice whatsoever over what he did. But he did have a choice over whether or not he chose to be paid for it. And he tells us he chose not. And then in verse 18, he tells us why. He says, what then is my reward? Just this, that in preaching the gospel I may offer it free of charge and so not make full use of my rights as a preacher of the gospel. Paul's contribution to the work of the kingdom was to lay down his rights as an apostle, as an apostle to ensure that as many people as possible heard the gospel. It was not the approach of all the apostles. Most of them actually remained in Jerusalem. They received financial gifts for their work. And Paul doesn't begrudge them that. By no means. But for him, he delighted in giving up his rights so that more people could hear the gospel. And he doesn't I mean, if you think about Paul's journey, you know, he could have stayed in Antioch. He could have stayed in the church there. He could have found himself a wife. He could have continued um, preaching in that place. I'm sure many would have come and heard him speak. But he didn't. He didn't get tied down. He didn't have a wife. He didn't accept a wage. In fact, he traveled through the whole of the known world telling as many people as possible about Jesus, about the difference that he could make. And he delighted in it. And this is how he's developing this message since the start of chapter 8. Now the world tells you to hold on to your rights. Fight for your right to party. Now hold on, that's the beastie boys. Um, (laughs) Claim your rights. And Paul said, no, I will give up my rights for the sake of the gospel. So what does it look like? Verse 19, he says, Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. Made myself a slave. Essentially, he has allowed other people to decide his manner of living. And he sort of lists it for us, doesn't he? He says, To the Jews I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law. So as to win those under the law, and to those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I'm not free from God's law, but I'm still under Christ's law. That's essentially him saying, I didn't go around sinning, 
so as to win those not having the Lord. The weak I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people so that by all means possible I might save some. Can you sense his passion in writing this? I'm going to do whatever I possibly can so that some people will hear the gospel. If by giving up this right, then somebody else comes to Jesus, then hallelujah, I'm going to do it. That's what I imagine. You know, he's like, and he's writing it. <laughs> so when the Jews, when he's with the Jews, he'd observe the Sabbath, he'd eat kosher meat. Um, <laughs> I think it's in Acts 16. Um, where he talks about him taking Timothy um, with him on a mission. And before they went, Timothy was his friend, and before they went, he got Timothy circumcised so he'd be more acceptable to the Jews. As if they were going to check. It's a weird thing, right? I've always found that odd. Um, But (laughs) this was his heart. He would do whatever he can. He would lay down or remove whatever he needed to remove. To make himself more acceptable. When he's with the Gentiles, he'd ignore the Sabbath. He'd eat what they ate. He'd go where they went. Live among them, never sinning, but living in their world so that he could share the gospel with them. And you know, sometimes I think as Christians we can become kind of really comfortable in our own ways. Our own ways of doing things. We can become really kind of focused on ourselves and spend perhaps too much of our time with other Christians in Christian meetings. And actually I think this is more representative of the world than we might realise because there is a sense in which we are being selfish. You may may never have considered that by choosing to spend time with Christian group over a non-Christian friend is actually being selfish. But sometimes we do it because we're more comfortable and we're more happier amongst our Christian friends. And in that way, it's about what we can get for ourselves and not what we can give to others. I'm not suggesting you should start coming to church meetings. That would be very foolish of me as one of the pastors here. But don't let church meetings and church friends be the only people that you see through the week. You know, last week Paul spoke about this idea of giving up our rights to benefit those of the weaker conscience. Now he's talking about giving up our rights to benefit those outside of the church that we might see people saved. I love what he says in verse 23. He says, I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I might share in its blessings. Do we want to see our friends' lives transformed by Jesus? Do we want to share in the blessing that comes when the people that we know and love come to know Jesus? I remember um, a number of years ago when we had Amelie dedicated and I was just sitting in the back over here and um, we'd invited a whole bunch of our friends that we'd known for years to come along and, 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 and be a part of it and of course they came and supported us. Um, And I remember sitting and just thinking, wouldn't it be wonderful if this was every Sunday to all those people that I know and love were here with me celebrating Jesus and the difference that he's made in their lives. Do you ever think about that? Do you ever consider what that would be like? Paul lived for the joy that 
came from seeing people come to faith. That was his passion. And he travelled the world to do it. That's not to say that it will be easy. It wasn't easy. And Paul finishes this chapter um, this morning with a warning. And he does it in the form of a sports metaphor. I'm not great with sports metaphors. Um, but I think I get this one. He says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Don't panic. He's not talking about salvation here. He's not talking about only a few of us making to heaven. You know, we need to look at this in the context of the rest of the passage. And actually, this is a really good metaphor for the believers in Corinth. Um, early on, we talked about how Corinth was the home to the second largest sporting event after the Olympics, which was the Isthmian Games. It was a huge deal for them. Um, And if you wanted to compete in these games, then you had to train. In fact, to get entry to the games, you had to train for ten months. Ten months of hard graft. And his point is that the Christians, that those believers in Corinth should have the attitude of an athlete who is determined to win, so much so that they will give up or limit freedoms for the sake of the prize. No, if you want to win a medal, then you have to train, don't you? You have to put in the track time. You have to get up early and do that extra run. You might actually have to give up some things that you really love. Cake. Chocolate. McDonald's. If you want to see people come to faith, if you want to reach others, then we might have to give up some of those things that we really love for their sake. Both in church and out of church. So that's chapter 9. That's essentially it. That's what Paul says. What can we take away from this chapter this morning? Let me just try and draw out a couple of thoughts before we close today. Paul's attitude was this. If it will help spread the gospel, if it will advance the kingdom of God, if more people will hear about Jesus, do it. Just do it. And last week we looked at this idea that there might be some things we should stop doing for the sake of others, things that might lead people into sin. This week perhaps we should ask, are there things that we should start doing for the sake of of others are there people in our lives in our circle of influence that we know that perhaps we need to spend a little bit more time with time on so that perhaps they get to hear the gospel and know Jesus not because it's hard or because it's uncomfortable or because we like being miserable but because Paul tells us that actually there is great blessing and great reward in seeing others come to faith. And that's true. If you've ever experienced that, if you have a friend that you've known who's come to faith and you see the difference that Jesus makes in their life, it's a wonderful, wonderful thing. And he doesn't say it's easy. There is a cost. It requires discipline. Paul says in verse 27, doesn't he, I will strike a blow to my body and make it my slave. It requires effort on our part. But in the long term, it's worth it. Can you imagine standing in heaven, surrounded 
by people that came to know the saving power of Jesus because you decided to live like someone who was determined to win. Imagine how many people are surrounding Paul in heaven that he got to tell about the gospel. That was his reward. That's the reward he's talking about in this passage. And it can be ours as well. So here's a challenge for you. I'll leave you with a challenge. You take out your mobile phone and you scroll through your contacts and you find someone that you know that doesn't yet know Jesus. It'll probably be easier if you're a new Christian or not a Christian. And send them a message. Ask them if they'd like to catch up this week, next week. And don't do it once. Spend time with them over the next few weeks. And then invite them to Alpha. We've given you enough time over the coming months to lay the groundwork that they might come to faith. You can even do it during the last worship song. I'll let you. Because you know what? This is an act of worship. Because it's a sacrifice on our part for the sake of the kingdom. That's worship. And if you don't know Jesus this morning and you'd like to know before you start getting hundreds of text messages from your Christian friends, then please speak to Steve or I this morning. Because, you know, the reason that Paul lived this way, the reason that Paul made these sacrifices was because of the sacrifice that Jesus had made for him. And me, and you, and it can change your life.